Ricky, 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 Ricky. What's up, man? <laughs> How you doing? Good. How are you doing? Every single time where it's like I do that, and then we're like, who's going to say the first thing afterwards? Um, yeah, and, I, and and a lot of times when I try to jump in, I'm like, "Hey, man, how's it going?" You're already saying, "Hey, man, how you doing?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, you know, I, yeah. I leave my uh, time to you, good sir. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> you do the intro. You're yeah. the host. Yeah, I, yeah, but you're so North Carolina. You're like the one that's like, "Hey, how's it going?" Kind of thing. Like the, you know, I'm just like the New, the New Yorker. It's like, "You good? What's going on?" <laughs> Yeah, everybody in New York, when they see somebody that they know, they say their name like six different times. They're like, hey, Mikey, 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 <laughs> Like It's just how everybody does in New York, right? I mean, maybe. You like that camel from that commercial about hump day. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I do do that for a lot of people, but yeah. most New Yorkers do not do that. Color me surprised. Alex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we actually... I don't know if this show is going to be more exciting, less exciting, but at least the show is all about the future and optimism yeah. and excitement and possibly. Uh, I know that uh, a lot of Panthers fans are all doom and gloom um, and that, you know, things can't look up. And then yeah, I, all, I mean, I'm just, I don't know how, how many times I can say it to people. It's like, I mean, did you see Jared Goff before they got McVay? Did you see right. uh, Trevor Lawrence before he got Peterson? Did you, I mean, this happens literally all the time where a rookie quarterback gets a new head coach and gets way better. Did you see Baker Mayfield once he got Stefanski? Like, it happens every single time. Um, and we are still <laughs> doom and gloom over here. Like, it's like, like um, everything's going downhill and that uh, we are the worst organization in football history. And I just don't think that's the case. Um, but uh, now we're going to talk about good things and exciting things and fun things. Yeah. You know? Uh, it's easy. It's easy to go the negative route with this team right now, and so like I don't fault people for doing that because it is a really natural um, trajectory based off of going two and fifteen. Yeah. When you're the first franchise to ever lose fifteen games in a seventeen game season, it is easy to feel very, very negative and dejected about the team, especially yeah. when you fire your head coach of a superstar coaching staff that everyone was you know overly excited about coming into the year. Like, there's plenty of reasons to be bummed out. But the good news is that if you identify that Frank Reich was a problem, you got yeah. rid of that problem. And if you identify that Scott Fitterer was a problem, guess what? We've now gotten rid of that problem as well. Yeah. And if you if you get a cancer diagnosis, your doctor isn't going to go in and remove one or two of the bad tumors. They're going to clean house and they're going to do everything they can to rid your body of the cancerous problems that are causing all of the issues. That's what we're doing essentially right now. We are purging and we're getting rid of everything that has a problem. I told somebody the other day and they were like, well, yeah, but what if you keep a couple of these guys or they stay in their roles? I'm not talking about like the coaching staff necessarily, right? That's mm -hmm. going to be up to the next coach. But from a front office standpoint, man, what are we talking about with keeping some of these guys around? Like, yeah, you need to shake everybody's hands. Thank them for their time and commitment because it was a serious job and, and you tried. We failed, but I know that people tried. But shake everybody's hands, thank them for their time, and then pressure wash the damn offices. You know what I mean? <laughs> Scrub everything, man. Like, and, and you can pressure wash the people on their way out if they want that. You know? Yeah. Maybe look at it as like, what is it when you do the thing with the sage? Sage the whole damn mint street. You know, like yeah. we need to clear house. We need to make everything new and fresh sets of eyes. 
And I'm excited because it sounds like maybe we're doing that. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Um, yeah. Let's go back to, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, but uh, no, no, I, I tell you there, um, I can't think of any business at all where that is smart or like it just there's always gonna be a sense of like being jaded people like like always looking over their shoulder like that that they might be the next one out like they don't have that like you're you're right there's 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 so much pressure on you when everybody else goes except for you and then if you don't do it something right away then it's like yeah see you are you are part of the problem too so yeah the same thing i was talking about with um uh, Thomas Brown and you know somebody else coming in that's the offensive guy. You can't just mm-hmm. keep Thomas Brown because you can't just have that. It's just there's too much push and pull. The players think that you're the voice, that or, or you see the voice. The only the only way that I could see anybody staying on is if there's already built connections and a rapport with whoever the new hire is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to an extent, I would be okay with. It. And we'll talk more about this. We'll get yeah. into specifics about it. But but yeah, there's there there's always an exception to the rule. But I don't want to go out seeking that exception. Like right. I want to do the search based off of what is best for the team, not what is best for any individual. Like the yeah. entire team, the entire franchise, just do a, a, a thorough, wide net search. Yeah, yeah, and I think most of this uh, episode we're going to be talking about you know uh, GMs and coaching candidates. But yes. before that, I wanted to talk about um, kind of what the players are saying because like. Yeah. They don't seem happy. Like in g- just in general, they don't seem happy. We I talked about this pretty much the entire season. They just didn't look like they were having any fun. They didn't. Mm-hmm. They didn't look like motivated. They didn't look. It just. It, it just like was the Eddie Pinero, like the shrugging the shoulders, like yeah, that like that was the whole season for us. Really, is the yep. the Eddie Pinero eh, eh, shrug my shoulders. Um, I don't think anybody embodied that more th- during the season, and he, and he definitely frustrated me throughout this season. Than Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen uh, was, I mean, he was, he was a good player for us this year in general. And like in, in broad generality, he was a good player for us sure. this year. But he didn't step up as the leader that I wanted him to be. He, um, he's, I, I talk about not my fault guys all the time. He's kind of a not my fault guy. And I just don't like that. I don't like not my fault guys. Um, right. And so on the way out, he said, all right, I couldn't really talk about this like during the season, but what I thought this was going to be is this coaching staff where we were going to go to the playoffs and uh, you know we would go you know maybe win a game or two and the next year we'd win the Super Bowl. It's like mm-hmm. uh, what? Like like I, I know that's like uh, that's pretty much what everybody wants to do, honestly. Um, but like it's just such a it did, like the other coaching staff like that's what I was sold on. Like I was just going to go along for this ride. It's like come on, man. Like you. <laughs> You, instead of being like, hey, you know, I didn't play well enough. Like, the whole team didn't play well enough. Well, I thought we were going to be a lot better than we were, but we didn't play well enough. It was always, it was all about, like, deflect, 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 deflect. Um, what do you take from uh, Thielen's comments? Yeah, I mean, look, it's pretty much in line with what I think I had already assumed Thielen was here for and what he saw his outlook with this team, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think he was sold on signing with the Carolina Panthers because he could get a thousand-yard season. I think that there was a true intent of competing here. And and a lot of that has to do with the division, that the NFC South was a down division. It was probably the easiest to identify as up for grabs of any of the NFL divisions, I think. Um, so, yeah, he came in with the intent of winning, man. And, and he wanted to win. And that became very obvious that that wasn't going to happen early in the season. And so his frustrations in saying that, 
you know, things have changed for him. Yeah, sure they have. I mean, they changed for everybody. And I'm okay with it, man. If he, if there is a fiscal way that makes sense for us and he has a designation in his contract that if he is traded post June 1st, I believe it is, um, it opens up some serious cap maneuvering that it would, it would save us like 8 million in cap for 2024. It would give us a dead cap hit, but moving him in any way before his out in his contract is going to give us a dead cap hit. Mm -hmm. There's going to be financial ramifications to the move, but you can save some serious money if it's in a trade as opposed to a cut. Um, If he can, if you can find a taker for his contract and it suits him, then yeah, man, I got no issue getting rid of Adam Thielen. And it's not because he doesn't provide value to this team. He does. He was by far the most productive offensive player on this team. Um, it was also a byproduct of the scheme and him being the clear number one force-fed target, in my opinion. Um, That doesn't mean that he didn't still have to finish the plays. He did. He had to catch the balls. He had to get to his spots, and he did a good job of doing it. But I don't think that what he did was some sort of miraculous individual feat that could not be repeated from other players being put into a better situation in a completely different scheme when we have a different offensive coach in place. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't think that any offensive. I don't think. I, I think the value that bringing in like a thirty-something-year-old receiver is is to mm-hmm. be the the voice in the locker room. Like, look what yeah. Anquan Bolden was with that when they went on that Ravens run. Like, um, like Anquan Bolden was a shell of himself, but man, he was that yeah. voice in the locker room, and he Thielen didn't provide that. He didn't like, even the way he like finished the season. It, it just wasn't. You, you're not showing the other guys how to be. Vets or be or to how, how to um uh sh- show themselves, I guess, is the is the I, I, can't, I can't think of a, 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 that's at a least the perce- right, and that's at least the perception that we all have gotten mm-hmm. from the outside looking in, right? Be, but there's also been no official team reporting about like what he has provided for the whether it's mental or physical development for some of these younger guys. And I'm not saying that he has to be like a hands on mentor, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. not an after school program where he's responsible for teaching your kids, you know, their capital letters against their lowercase letters. Like that's not, that's not his job. He's a paid employee to come and play football for the Carolina Panthers, Mm -hmm. but it's a natural byproduct often that when you have a veteran who is willing and desires to get into that role of, I want to improve my team. I want to improve my position room. Then a lot of times that just happens naturally. And, And we didn't get a ton of reporting that that was happening. Right. Um, if anything, it seemed like DJ Chark was a little bit more of that veteran voice on, on in the wide receiver room. Um, I, I don't think that there was a whole lot of learning from each other this year mm-hmm. because I don't think that there was a whole lot of learning from the coaching staff for the most part of this year. There just seemed to be a very jumbled approach um, from day one. And so I think that we probably missed out on some of those natural benefits of having veterans in the room mm-hmm. with our young guys. It's just one of those awful, chaotic parts about a crap season is that mm-hmm. you don't get the organic ways of improving and growing and developing because there is so much turmoil and muck surrounding the uh, players and environment in which they're trying to flourish and nurture mm-hmm. their careers. So it, it, it was frustrating, but for Adam Thielen, man, it is what it is. If he wants to go and we can make that work for us and it doesn't hurt us tremendously, cool. I don't want to take it on the chin just to do him a solid. If, yeah. if it's a matter of us losing 13 mil in cap space, 
but he gets to go where he wants to go, I would look at him and I would say, hey, look, man, you're you're a, a, a very um, well-known veteran player. You've been through these processes before. You're going to be a Carolina Panther, and we expect you not to be a distraction. We expect you to be a good teammate. And we're going to trot you back out there and try to get you consecutive 1,000 yard seasons. You know, sell yeah. it like that. But if it's going to be a problem for us financially, then nah, man, he stays on the team. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not picking up the a little bit, but it's, it, we, it's all our vets did it. Like, and yeah. the time that you need vets, like think about like Frank Clark, man. Like, like he made plays at the right time because he knew how important that time was. Houston sure. didn't give us any of that. Thielen didn't give it and give us any of that. Miles Sanders didn't give us any. Like they didn't make those big plays at the time yeah. because they knew that how important that play was. Um, right. And that's kind of what. And when 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 young players see that, they're like, oh, and they follow that. And we just, it just never right. happened. And and I, I'm just kind of disappointed overall in that aspect of Thielen. Um, but his his comments were even for me even more outlined the. You know, I thought that I was going along for this ride that we were going to be yeah. all this kind of stuff instead of like, man, we could have been that and I didn't do enough. It's like, that's right. what I want to see. Um, and, and you know, that goes back to some of that JT O'Sullivan stuff that everyone was really upset about with him picking on Adam Thielen sometimes in, in videos, you know, when he does his film breakdowns and stuff like that. I think that part of what you're speaking to, what you're alluding to with the whole like, hey, it's, it's on the field, like setting an example and, and getting people to f- kind of follow your lead type of deal. When you see him early on in the season and he's throwing his hands up and he's very demonstrative and stuff on the field when maybe he's missed when he feels like he should have been targeted or he was open and he didn't get the ball thrown his way. It's one of those things that I think was irking JT a little bit is what are you doing that for? Like who benefits from you doing that at that moment? Because that doesn't seem like the thing that a veteran who is the leader by example would be doing. So then when you see the rookie, Jonathan Mingo, who doesn't put forth 100% effort or gets really pissy about something, and so he doesn't you know, run his motion 100% or, or run with urgency because he knows that the ball's not coming his way and he sells the entire damn play, essentially. Well, maybe he picked that up from the dejected feeling that Adam Thielen shoe show when he didn't get his you know, crosser thrown to him for the seventh time in a row. So it is one of those things, though, where, like, you've got to be very self-aware that what you do is is mimicked by the people that are learning the game. You're a guy who is looked at as an expert at what he does. You're a technician. You're a guy who has had success in the league. People will mimic it. Whether you want them to or not, they're going to mimic elements of your game. And it's possible that some of the elements that were mimicked were some negative ones this year. And so it is what it is, man. We move on, onward and upward, right? Like yeah. That's, that's the only way to go from here. But yeah. Thielen did have a productive year. I appreciate everything he brought here, and I appreciate what he did for Bryce Young in his rookie season because it would have been uh, quicksand without it. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah let's move on, on to um, uh, Brian Burns. And he yep. kind of <laughs> – I like Brian. I, I like him a lot. But the when you're on the – if you're going to play games – Mm-hmm. Play him. You're you're there for 100. percent Like mm-hmm. the fact that he said, "I proved my contract," you know, two years ago, and I was just so scared of getting hurt every game that I insinuating that he didn't go 100 percent, that he could have done a lot better. That he was just so worried that he was going to get hurt for his contract. It's like that's another thing I don't want to hear, man. If you're going to be on the field, if you want, if you want to hold out for a contract, hold out for a contract. That's on you. 
But if you're mm-hmm. going to be on the field and your your teammates hear this, your teammates are are, are sacrificing themselves. Shaq Thompson, right. Shaq Thompson wants to hear Brian Burns be like, "Ah, oh, yeah, man, I, I just scared of getting hurt, so I didn't, you know, I I, I could have been better." Like, like I that really got to me. I don't know what your opinion on that is. I'm I'm torn a little bit, to be completely honest, because where I think all of this stems from with Brian Burns, first of all, I think it's an entirely loaded situation, and I think it's a the clearest example of why we needed a full reset on front office coaching and everything, right? Mm-hmm. Because no matter what your opinion on Brian Burns as a player or his contract value is, we should all be able to agree, like vehemently agree that his situation was fumbled by this front office. Yeah. When the Rams made the offer for the two first round picks, I'm not saying that you have to accept that offer. But yeah. at that point, you get the extension done, done right yeah. away if that's the case, because the value has been set now on what the return would be for him. The compensation return was set right then that you can you can get two first round picks right away. You can have it mm-hmm. going after that. You don't sign him to the extension. But then you have this opportunity that you could include him in the trade package to move up to get Bryce Young. I've never faulted this front office for being aggressive and in, in moving up to trade for the quarterback of the future. Yeah. Whether it's Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, I don't care what my personal affinity was, the franchise was being aggressive and going up to get the most important position in football. Yeah. I love that. I'm good yeah. with that. And you have to sacrifice things to get that sometimes. So I understand all of that that goes with it, but looking at it from hindsight, and even looking at it though from in that moment, what they should have been able to identify if you're still unable to reach this agreement with Brian Burns and he's also a candidate for the team that you're trading for that wants him and he can be included in that trade and you don't have to send somebody like DJ Moore who would be your de facto and and not just de facto, but earned wide receiver one for your rookie quarterback coming in. Maybe that's the route you go then instead of trading DJ Moore and saying, well, we're still hopeful that we can sign Brian Burns. With all that hope, Brian Burns did everything the right way. He showed up to training camp. He showed up to off-season programs. He showed up to voluntaries. And he did everything that was asked of him. He even did it with the attitude of, hey, look, this is bigger than me. I I want to be here for this team. I want to show everybody what the example is of how to act. And he, I think he played 100% to start the season. Then you think of week two, and he suffered an injury against the Saints in that game. I remember him limping off in that game, and I was like, that's not good. It's not good if you're two weeks in and this guy who was playing his ass off trying to show that it's bigger than himself just got hurt and now he's sitting there thinking consciously about the fact that, yeah, maybe it's bigger than myself, but guess what? They also don't seem to give a shit about me personally. Yeah, They yeah. won't pay me for my services, but they want me to continue to work just as hard without the money that I am worth. Not, not the money that everyone else thinks he's worth, The money that he's worth, man, he's worth an extension. What he has done up to this point was worth an extension, or it was worth trading and getting the compensation that we had a chance to get. You didn't do any of that. And now you created this situation where when that idea gets in his head, you can't fault him. You can disagree with it. Like I, I I don't fault you, man, for like sitting there being like, that rubbed me the wrong way. I don't like it either. I don't love it. But I'm also not out there playing on an old contract, devalued contract, and have been told that I'm a huge part of future plans, but they don't have an actual plan 
Right. They just have a hope. They just have an idea. Man, I, I love an idea person just as much as anybody. But if you want me to hitch my wagon to your big idea, there's mm. got to be some work shown, man. Like, it can't all just be like, no, I'm a savant, man. I do all the work in my head. Trust me, I'll show you the answer eventually. Well, man, just show me at least like a couple parts of the equation. Like, show me the ballpark range of where we're going to be. <laughs> maybe they did, though. Maybe they showed him a ballpark number, and maybe he said, the hell is that? Like, why yeah. would I take 23 when you just got offered two first? They think I'm worth more than that. Other yeah. teams are telling you I'm worth more than that. And this is what you think I'm, I'm valued at for you? I don't know, man. It's really hard for me to blame him because I just don't think that he was treated the way that he should have been treated. But he also bet on himself and had a down statistical year. And you can't get around that either. You can throw context and nuance into that and say he was playing not 100% because he was hurt. He was playing not 100% because he was, you know, hesitant about injury. And you can say that he had zero support on the opposite side and that he was game playing against, which is an absolute fact that is supported Mm. by game film. But any way you shake it, this dude had a down year in a contract negotiating year. Yeah. I don't know. What? Henderson doesn't have that much help on the other end. Henderson has like, what, 15 sacks? So like, yeah. Yeah. Max Crosby. Max Crosby is one that gets pointed to a lot, too, right? Because Max Crosby is a guy that signed a contract before he started really like ascending. You know, you look at like Max Crosby's last two years, and that's what he's always compared to is that people are like, look, he's not even better than Max Crosby. He should be getting Crosby money. No, Crosby yeah. should be getting Miles. Crosby yeah. should be getting Miles Garrett money. Right. Think about yeah. Brian Burns should be getting Crosby. Crosby's getting the, the raw end of the deal there. And he, I watch how quick he negotiates, man. Yeah. I bet you he renegotiates that contract and gets an extension because they want to keep him there and they realize his value because he's an ascending player. Yeah. Well, it's also what Brian Burns should and can be for us is an ascending player at a premier position. Yeah, it's difficult, man. But you know what? It's all going to shake out eventually here. Like whoever comes in here as the GM is going to have his hands full to decide, you know, do I extend him? Do I let him play on a franchise tag and hope somebody offers, you know, a contract and I get two first for him eventually anyways? I don't see it, man. I don't see that happening now. I think we missed that train. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it all depends on who the coach comes in. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I don't see us not tr- trading him. We might not get two firsts for him, but we'll probably, I mean, I think somebody will. I think it'll be, it'll be like Montez Sweat, which is another thing, Montez Sweat, right? Uh, yep. we, we trade Burns to Chicago, two yep. more. Montez right. Sweat is available. <laughs> that's, you know, man, like, that's, that's, I'm glad that you point that out, though, man, because really look at that and say that if there had been some sort of forethought here involved in this process, some sort of looking long-term, as opposed to just saying that Brian Burns should be a part of our long-term, good on you for identifying that. That's not a hard find. This is, yeah. you're talking about a 25-year-old ascending player at a premier position, like we just said. Yeah, Not hard to identify that you want him to be on your team. But that isn't all of that equation. You have to figure out how that works. And if it doesn't work easily, if it doesn't work like in a way that benefits everybody, then what is the contingency plan and what are our alternatives? And I don't think that they explored that. The, the way that they've gone about this, it either seems like they didn't explore it or they were real bad at exploring it. Yeah. And either way, man, like it's incompetent. And now it's on this next group that comes in to figure out how to right those wrongs. And it sucks when you're already starting a new job that you're trying to learn and 
and you've got this boisterous boss behind you, you know, in the corner office, and he's really riding your ass about a bunch of things that he doesn't really know what he's talking about. You know, he's yelling about what in TPS reports and he doesn't know what a TPS report is kind of deal. That's, that's what it seems like working in that environment. But then you also have to go through and clean up the mess that somebody already left on the desk. Like you have to go and reorganize all of that crap before you can even get into your work. And that just kind of sucks, man. It seems like that's the overall sentiment that we have going from a franchise standpoint. Clean up everybody else's best, and then maybe we can get into some progress. Yeah. Uh, another guy that kind of rubbed me in the wrong way, and people might not see it this way, and I might be the only one that does see it this way. Uh-huh. Um, Chuba Hubbard. Uh, Chuba, the team was 2-15. and 15, And this dude is saying, I got receipts of like all the people that said I was a backup and that and didn't I do this, 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 and this? Like a me guy, and it was just like you. You're two and fifteen, man. I know the receipts are. You're still not good. Like, like you're not a good team, and it's still like a. I, I just wish somebody would get from the podium. You're like, man, if I was better, we would have been better. Like yeah. I could have did done things better. I dropped passive. I I missed my holes. So, like I I did these things, and these things could have been better. And that's what I'm going to work on this off season. And that's what. Right. I'm, and instead, it was like a. Uh, I kept receipts. I was the 25th best running back in football. Nobody yeah. thought I could be a starter, and I was a starter. It's like, huh? Who cares? Like I don't care. Like I don't care that you are you became a starter and. I mean, good job. I, I, I like you. I like. I, I think that he showed a lot this year. I think he can build upon that. But it's just—it's another thing that rubbed me the wrong way. Is like, why doesn't anybody just come out and say, like, I, I could have done something better. Like, I could have been better. I could have helped this team more. I don't. Yeah, know. I hear you. I hear you. No, I hear you. And I don't. I don't totally disagree with that either. And again, it's 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 a level of context to it all, and there's a level of. Um, pick your poison, right? Like, and pick your places where you want to fight that battle type of deal. I don't fault Chuba for wanting to point to naysayers that said, Hey, look, he can't catch the ball out of the backfield. Right. I don't, I don't fault him for coming out and saying, well, how did I do this year with that? Right. Because he did really well with that. So I don't think that there's anything wrong with coming out and saying, I had 44 targets this season and I caught 39 of them. Right. Great. Good job. I mean, that's that's literally a massive improvement for what he had done. He had zero drops this year. And that was always his Achilles heel and what stood in front of him as being a starter caliber type of player is that you can't trust him with that responsibility. No issue with saying I've improved my individual game. Yes, you have. But when you start doing the receipts thing at a 2-15 and 15, like you're talking about, it does come across very like... Um, personal victory lapping when your team just suffered the literal worst season in the NFL. So maybe you can sit there and say, you know, man, after a couple of weeks go by or whatever, and I'm able to sit back and really look at things, I think I'll feel proud about my individual accomplishments and how I've improved my game. I I benefited greatly from being healthy. I I appreciate the team staying behind me and and believing in me. And and that's how you can bring that in, right? To say, you know, I had all these doubters on the outside. But my teammates never gave up on me. I didn't give up on them. I wish we could have done more together this year. That's how you can tie it all in and make it the same sentiment without seeming kind of selfish. But at the same point, man, I don't know, man. Maybe they're looking for individual fun right now. Maybe they're looking for something that they can smile about, something they can hang their hat on and just not have it be a completely wasted seven months of their life. It it sucks from a fan standpoint to hear it because you don't want to hear somebody championing themselves 
at that point. But Chuba did have a career best season. And I think he showed that he should be valued going forward, at least as a part of that running back room. And maybe that's all he meant. And he just did it in a way that is is more boisterous than than some of us would. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think it was just if, if that would have been the only thing I think I, it was just over and over and over and over and over yeah. again. And I talk about this and I talk about the Browns and the Browns. Thank God I got somebody like Joe Flacco and be like, guys, it's not about you. It's about us. Like it's been a great yeah. And people followed that. Because I was, I, I was always off on the Browns because I thought they were all not my fault guys. Like, right? Look at I'm doing. I'm doing. Yeah, I'm doing good stuff. Like, it's not. It's not. I'm not. It's not my fault. Uh, right. And the, the Jets have that same problem. It's not Gary Wilson. It's not. I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not a problem. Yeah. Robert Saul. I'm not a problem. Um. So I, uh, I just hate not my fault guys. Uh, I just wish one person would just be like, and Bryce does it, and and Bryce is going to once be, he becomes. I, I think he's just as a rookie, it's just tough. Uh, once yeah. he becomes that voice in the locker room, I think he's going to really, people are going to follow that. And I'm really mm-hmm. excited about him in the future with, for those things. Um, but let's move on uh, to yeah. another guy that don't say I'm too happy about his role this year. Jeremy Chin, likely gone, I think. What, what do you think? Yep. Yeah, Chin, man, is is the one spot. Well, there's two spots. There's McQuan McCall that I... Uh, Obviously, I've made it known that I thought that was a huge mistake of the way that was handled. And then the way that the wording after it was handled, talk about we don't need a news tackle. We finished as the worst rush defense team in the league. I mean, that's an easy connect the dots. But Chin's usage and the lip service at the beginning of the season about him being a weapon and about not going into details about how he'll be used, but that he's going to be all over the field a lot. I bought into that because it makes a lot of sense. And I also think that I believe in Jeremy Chin to be a player that can provide a schematic versatility that maybe isn't everyone's cup of tea and maybe not every coordinator can utilize a player that is kind of like identityless, if you will, but can identify what he does well and put him in advantageous situations. I believe that to be a zero Evero. And I thought that this was a situation where Jeremy Chin would be used more so as big nickel or in the box a bit more in a more traditional linebacker alignment more often than not, especially when Shaq Thompson got hurt. And so it was extremely disappointing to me that they were unable to figure out a plan to get him on the field when he was healthy. He saw 39% of the snaps this year as a Carolina Panther. And that's down from 91 being like the lowest, I think, last year. And then it was like 98, 93. I mean, he was on the field all the time. Mm -hmm. He was one of our better athletic players on the field at any given moment. I struggled to see how with this defense was facing all of the injuries that we were facing. I I just don't know how he wasn't valuable to this team. They they Mm -hmm. could not figure out a way to get him on the field. Um, I saw it. AJ Panthers culture um, on Twitter tweeted something that that really resonated with me. And I can't remember the exact wording and I don't have it up. He said he, he just can't understand how Harris Marshall Jr. And Jeremy Chin held the same value to this football team. Like how neither of them could get on the field. The TMJ, I can understand a little bit more, right? You bring in these free agent guys that are going to play in those positions. Um, you draft Jonathan Mingo. It wasn't your guy. I, I get that. But they sold everybody on their vision with Jeremy Chin. And and it is the one sour mark that I would point to with Evero, who did great things this season mm. um, as coordinator. 
I would point to that and say that that was a very big disappointment for me. And I don't want to just blame the coaching staff, though. Maybe there is something to chin that he's yeah. not good enough to be out there. I, yeah. Enough for us to say, right? So yeah. I don't want to make it seem like the coaching staff was incompetent and that all of us fans who love Jeremy Chin know better than them. And we're not at practice. We're not seeing what's happening. But it just felt like there was a way to get him on the field. But again, right. gut feeling, not what, not what they know. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's my opinion. What I kind of assume from TMJ and him is that they just it's just too complicated for him. Like mm-hmm. the, the everything and it's an Evero system for sure. It's a very, very complicated defense. And some talk about like the, the Shanahan, the slowest of the world, right? You mm-hmm. simply, you make it so simple that it's so yeah. hard to fail. Um, and we just didn't, you know, just wasn't who our, our team was. They just, yeah. they didn't make it so simple that you couldn't fail. Um, so I think that he could have value if we do bring in somebody like that. Um, but, I, my assumption is that talent-wise, both of those guys should be on the field. Sure. But I think they just weren't picking up the schematics of what we were trying to do as a offensive yep. and defense. Yep. I don't know. That's just me making an assumption as a, a guy. I have no idea. Um, let, let's do one more before we go over to uh, coaching staffs. Um, okay. Because my, <laughs> my man, uh, I, 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 I like Iggy Ivano so much. But nothing grinds my gears like him smiling at a press conference. Like, yeah. I just, uh, I, I, he did it earlier this season and it just kind of yeah. just made me so mad. Um, what do you think what he had to say about at the end of the year? The smiling thing is almost like the situational awareness, right? It's like, yeah. dude, you're talking about your failures and about giving up the second most sacks to a quarterback in a single season. Like, like these are these are low marks, man, and not just low marks for you individually. These are career low marks for NFL teams, man. Like really bad, embarrassing, damning statistics. To smile just kind of makes it a little bit too lighthearted for me. Yeah. And I do understand too, though, that it's a conversation that's happening amongst other people. And maybe there was a, a, even parts of that conversation that were happening prior that were kind of jokey and friendly, and, and so they were already in that mindset with each other i don't have a problem with people enjoying life and having fun man but when you talk about a serious subject maybe you should have a serious demeanor about it sometimes and at least read the room um mm. with icky dude i'll just give my opinion on what's happening here with him and what <laughs> and what i honestly <laughs> i've tied myself now to pick 33 if we hold on to that pick and there is a prospect like jordan morgan who is probably my favorite prospect um available at that range for this team He's an offensive tackle in Arizona. I would draft him in a heartbeat, and I would promote competition with Ikemakwanu to earn that starting left tackle position. And if he doesn't earn it, and if he doesn't earn it, man, which I'm not saying he would, but if he doesn't earn it, he also doesn't just get to kick inside to starting at guard either because I don't think that that covers up his deficiencies. I think at that point, he battles for the backup position, or he goes and he battles for the starting guard position. You can't just give it to him anymore. And if the attitude is, yeah, I didn't do well, I've got to do better, i got to get back in the lab. And he did say all that. He said some of the right things. Maybe he didn't say it with the disposition that we would have preferred, but he mm-hmm. said the things that you wanted him to say. But man, what did we talk about all year this year on this damn podcast is the messaging and the things that people say not matching the action and the results we're getting. So 
make it sound good. Do all of that. What does Rick Ross say? He's like, lie to me. Just make it sound good, right? Like you could do that, and and it'll it'll give me some fake belief for a bit. But then once I start seeing it happen on the field, and it ain't that. I mean, we got to revisit that conversation and say this dude isn't the answer, and we can't keep putting out a guy who is not the answer to Bryce's detriment. That's I mean, that's it going forward, man. So he's got an off season. He's going to have some competition, and I hope that he comes back strong and that he can do it. But I'm not counting on it any longer. Going into next year, I'm not looking at it as we have our franchise left tackle. I'm looking at it as that's a position to upgrade. Yeah, and it's almost like so. I think actually this actually like uh, bleeds into um, the GM and coaching staff. I'm, I want a GM and coaching staff that comes in and says that exact thing. I don't care when you were a pick, man. I don't care that, about the investment in this franchise. Best player is going to play. Like that's, right. that's what, what I want somebody to do. And it kind of seems like more often than not, it was just kind of a, an assumption. It was just assumed. It was just assumed yeah. like, that these people are going to be in these roles because of this, um, uh, yeah. what we gave up to get these people. Yeah, um, right. so, so let's go into, with that mindset, let's go into... Uh, let's start GM first because Fitterer just got fired. You've been pushing right. that for all, all, basically all year, basically since like week four. I think you've been pushing that. Um, yeah. Tepper has uh, <laughs> has hired a consulting firm to help with his search of a new GM candidate. Candidate and uh, a lot of people within the organization want to keep Dan Morgan around. There's talk about that they want a cap specialist and a scout specialist to basically combine for a GM spot. I don't know what, let me ask first your, what you're thinking about what you want in, in the next GM, what you think about how this all was handled, and then we'll go into your favorite candidates. Um, I'll start with the Dan Morgan proposition. I'm all the way out. I don't want to, <laughs> I get the sentimental pull of a former Panthers linebacking. Great. I love Dan Morgan as a player. You won't hear me say hardly any bad things about Dan Morgan that don't have to do with maybe accidentally bumping into him at the Uptown Cabaret and he had had a couple of extra things that he shouldn't have had that night. (laughs) That's a a story for a different podcast. But this one, this particular instance of talking about keeping him on, I I even see people saying like, hey, look, if we got to keep him on, let's put him in like a vice president of, uh, you know, football operations type of role. Let him be the liaison between the general manager and and, uh, David Tepper just to keep Tepper at bay. I I push back on that train of thought because who is saying that we have to keep Dan Morgan? Like what? Where does it originate? Why would you ever keep my my question is very simple for like the ruling that out for me. What is the highlight since he has been in the front office? And he has been the assistant general manager. He hasn't been like a low-level employee. He's been the assistant general manager. And he has a history of working with Scott Ferrer in Seattle. They are very familiar and comfortable with each other. What is the highlight of the three years that he was here that you would point to and say, that's why it's worth exploring keeping him here? People try to point to Brandon Bean and, and the Marty or Dave Gettleman situation. They were coming off the heels of success. That was after the 2015-2016 season. 2015, we all know and are very fond of. That was Cam Newton's MVP year going to the Super Bowl. Best best year in franchise history. 2016, it was a letdown. And that's when David Gettleman was moving on. 
And that's when the conversation was, man, don't let Brandon Bean go. Like he's, he's our young guy. He's our young developmental guy. He's a rising star. And the minute that Gettleman is out of the way, someone's going to poach him. If we, if we don't move him, they're going to poach him. And that happened. I don't see Dan Morgan in that light. Like, mm. What has he been involved in that has been successful with the Carolina Panthers? People want to point to the Buffalo Bills. He was the director of pro, per, or pro player personnel in Buffalo from 2018 to 2020. And people say, well, he built a team around Josh Allen as a rookie, and he built this team to help him succeed. Pro player personnel guys aren't heavily involved in the draft, or or scouting from a college standpoint, that's not necessarily their forte. There's crossover in all those jobs, from my understanding, and their responsibilities. But he's he's more responsible for the scouting grades on players already in the league and, and free agents that are available and the free agent acquisitions that they make and the contracts that they give out and the value that they allocate to those players. The greatest free agent addition that they made from 2018 to 2020 in Buffalo was Cole Beasley. And Cole Beasley was significant, but Cole Beasley was not any kind of game-changing player that changed the trajectory of Josh Allen in that franchise. Stephon Diggs was brought in in 2020. That was after Dan Morgan was done there. So that's not a move that is on his behalf either, as far as, as, far as I can tell, right? As a pro player personnel director in Seattle, I looked through the free agent acquisitions in those time periods. And that was also with Scott Fitterer. So if you want to point to all of those moves and say, man, he did a really good job there. Well, Scott was above him. So wouldn't those technically fall under his umbrella too? And we don't trust Scott Fitterer. We don't like Scott Fitterer. We wanted him out. Why do we want his crony to stay here and see through what he started? That seems backwards to me, man. I love Dan Morgan as a former player. Maybe he turns out to be a rising star. He says that all the NFL circles are, are, are enamored with him, right? And he's really highly regarded. Where are the requests that prove that? <laughs> yeah, right. What other GM jobs is he interviewing for in this cycle? He interviewed for one last year for the Pittsburgh Steelers job. Didn't get it, but he interviewed. So if you're an ascending prospect at a job or a, at a candidate at a job, if you had one interview last year, you should have at least one, if not more, this year, right? If that didn't happen... And the only job you're interviewing for is the job that you just failed at. We got to take that off the books, man. That ain't that is not a smart job for us to try to keep this guy employed, in my opinion. Clearhouse. Now, as far as getting an analytics guy and a salary cap guy and a and a scouting <laughs> guy, every single damn thing that you can think of. I, yeah, I like delegating stuff and I like having expertise in areas that I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem, though, if all of this is based off of it being Dan Morgan that you're pairing with one of this analytic salary cap guys. I like the analytics and salary cap approach to it. I think that there's real merit and benefit to all of that. I don't know that that's the only part or the most drastic part that this team needs to be focusing on. For me, it's an infusion of talent. It's better signings. It's better evaluation, whether it's pro or college scouting. That is the part that I think we have struggled mightily with. You look at the moves that we've made, whether it's retread quarterbacks, whether it's C.J. Henderson's. Um, I mean, and people want to point to these guys like Nick Thurman, and they're like, hey, well, he did bring in Nick Thurman. They did identify Amir Smith-Marset. I like these guys. These guys may not start on any other NFL team. So I'm not saving somebody's job 
because they found a rotational player on the defensive line when our defensive line was bare empty. Like, I, I'm just not doing that, dude. That doesn't move the needle for me, personally. If mm-hmm. you could sit there and say, well, hey, man, he found um, he found J- Justin Jefferson in the sixth round, or, you know, like, he yeah. found... He found this uh, veteran free agent wide receiver who came in and had a Puka Nakua type of year. Yeah, then let's talk about it because that's a clear indicator that you have a great eye for for noticing things on a, on a player personnel standpoint. I don't know that that necessarily happened here. So mm-hmm. I'm okay moving on and, and going about a different way. Um, do we want to talk about the list that the Panthers have yeah. released for the prospects? Yeah, yeah. Let me read it out for you real fast. Just you know, okay. going to be like your favorites. Yes. Um, so we got uh, Brandon Brown from the Giants, Mike Greenberg from the Buccaneers, Brandon uh, Brant Tillis from the Chiefs, Alec Hallaby from the and I'm going to be butchering some of these names. So sorry for that. <laughs> uh, from the Eagles, uh, Kai Harley from the Saints, uh, Nick Mateo from the Ravens, Ed Dodge from the Colts, Champ Kelly from the Raiders, and uh, yeah, I think that's all of them. Um, anybody that kind of catches your eye. And then today we had a new addition. They added um, Mike Disner yeah. from the Detroit Lions. Now that's, that's just a brand new one. I think it's like in the last two hours that was confirmed or something like that. Yes. Um, so for me, I'll touch on a couple things real quick. A lot of the names that I really was high on prior to the release of this lease or this list, I keep saying lease. I don't know what the hell. <laughs> okay. um, the candidates that I was really high on was Adam Peters, um, the AGM for San Francisco, who's already taken interview with the commanders. Um, he did not take interviews last year. He's a very high demand guy. Ian Cunningham, um, the AGM in Chicago. I really like him, history in Philadelphia and the Baltimore franchises. And that's, you'll notice a lot of my uh, favorites have that in common. Somebody that has come from the San Francisco, the Philadelphia, or the Baltimore front office tree, I'm very high on because they have sustained success and they seem to have an idea of what works, right? Um, and in that same, in same, same vein, I've got Joe Hortiz that was the Baltimore, um, assistant GM or player, player personnel director. I can't remember exactly what his title is right now. Um, not the AGM, the AGM is the guy that we have on here, I think. Um, but he's more on the player evaluation side and, and talent type of deal, as opposed to the analytics and cap, um, Ray Agnew Jr. for Detroit and Will McClay for Dallas, the VP player personnel over there. Um, None of them were on this list. The There actually is no GM on the list that was in my preferred guys. That's okay, because they've obviously gone a different way, too. Six of the nine candidates that we just listed off were from the analytics uh, contract negotiation standpoint and more on the numbers side than the player evaluation. I went the opposite way when I looked at my search. Surprisingly enough, the Baltimore guy in there, Nick Mateo, is not one of my preferred candidates in that list. Despite the fact that he comes from Baltimore, he's been with Baltimore for four years. Um, before that, he was with the NFL for a, a good amount of things, um, working in the management council, I believe. Not really my cup of tea. I like, out of those guys, I would go Brant Tillis, Alec Hallaby, Kai Harley, and then Mike Disner, the new addition today, would be my preferred candidates out of all those guys. Um Alec Hallaby is probably the one that moves the needle for me the most with the Eagles. He's an assistant GM over there right now. It's his 16th season with the Eagles. So, I mean, he has been there for a lot of uh, happenings 
within that front office and that organization. Began as an intern in the football operations department, then to player personnel analyst for a two-year stint, to special assistant to the GM for four years, vice president of football operations and strategy, all the way up into the AGM. For the team site for the Eagles, his job responsibilities focused on player evaluation, roster management, and resource allocation, with a particular emphasis on integrating traditional analytical methods and decision-making. That sounds nice. You know, yeah, I mean, like, look, no matter what any fan's opinion is on these GM candidates, you can be as informed as you want to, but it's reading what other people publish about it and then reviews from people that have worked with them, and that's how you're going to form it. There is no on-field product that you can look at it and say, well, he put up 75 catches in, in 800 yards, so I feel pretty good about his prospects. It's a lot of projection and, and opinion when it comes to these candidates. Um, Brant Tillis, again, it's a guy that has long standing with a great organization with the Chiefs. He's seen Super Bowls. He has seen turnover. They have a pretty clear idea of what they value in Kansas City and what they feel is expendable, and that's pretty obvious by the moves that they make. He's in his 14th season with the Chiefs. So he's been there a long time. Um, Kai Harley, the New Orleans Saints candidate there. He's the AGM and the VP of Football Operations in New Orleans. Um, 16th season with the Saints, 23rd in the NFL. He's the salary cap wizard, right? He's the guy that has manipulated that salary cap for them to be able to even have an employee at this point, despite being damn near $100 million over the salary cap at points where it just looked absolutely insurmountable and there was no way that they could ever even field a team of 53 to play on Sundays. And not only has he done that, but he signed Derek Carr to, you know, $80 million yes. and, and things of that and he nature. He was out right now. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, he's trying to get another job. That's but so that's an interesting... Right, right. <laughs> so that's an interesting candidate, I think, for two reasons. A, I think you take away one of the secret weapons of the front office for the Saints. Right. And you say, hey, Dennis Allen and, and you buffoons over there, y'all figure out how to keep, you know, uh, Jimmy Graham playing for 20 million for the next 22 years until he's the bionic man. Like y'all do whatever you got to do over there. But we're going to take your little salary cap guy and get him out of here. Um, <laughs> Real fast, did you hear Cam Jordan say, uh, I, I love the uh, Saints too much to retire? It's like, Oh God! No, he's thirty-six years old. Yeah, yeah. thirty-six year old owes like twenty-five million dollars. That's why you're not. Nah, he's coming up on Valentine's Day, man. And he's just waiting to find out if they're going to fill out that Valentine to say yes when they ask, "Do you like me?" Like he's sending that thing out right now. Like, hey, you still want to go together? And he's about to get that thing back. And it's like, honestly, I'm kind of busy with. (laughs) Um. Okay, so Kai Harley would be another guy that I would be interested in, and then, like I said, uh, Mike Disner. I do like the idea of Mike Disner. Mike Disner was not the Detroit Lions executive that I probably would have anticipated. I thought Ray Agnew Jr. would be the guy. Um, but Disner is in his fourth season with the Lions, 16th in the NFL. He was with the uh, Arizona Cardinals in 2013 to 18 as the director of football administration. Um, in that one, he served as the club's lead contract negotiator, where he did deals with Carson Palmer, Patrick Peterson, Larry Fitzgerald, Chandler Jones, and Taran Mathieu. Now, the thing that I like about that is it shows that they can ID integral players that they want to keep right like you want to keep these players you can identify their worth and you pay them accordingly to the place where they're happy and you feel comfortable about your organization's ability to maneuver with those contracts so i like that that there are big names that he worked out as opposed to just like filling in cracks that a lot of these other guys seem to be like tipping their cap with right um i also think that what he's done and 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 this is on the lions team site 
is it says when he was he was responsible for fourth season. So he came in at what 2020, right? 2020, 21, 22, 23. That's the four seasons. That that Lions franchise has gone through a serious change in that mm-hmm. amount of time. They hired Dan Campbell in 2021, and Mike Disner was was a part of that group that went and did that. He worked alongside principal owner and chair Sheila Hamp, president and CEO Rod Wood, and special assistant to president and CEO and chairperson Chris Spielman to reshape the culture and leadership of the Lions football operation. The group led a broad search that resulted in the hiring of Lions executive vice president and general manager Brad Holmes and head coach Dan Dan Campbell. The newly formed group continues to shepherd a new era of success for the Lions organization. What that does make me feel good about, too, is the overhaul of an organization that needs a identity overhaul as well as a personnel overhaul. I like that experience. That makes me feel comforted in a way. Um, Now, where a lot of this comes down to is the alignment with head coaches, right? Because that's the key. And that's the ticket that every fan will talk about being the disastrous part of this season was no alignment and no vision. So do we want to look at the head coaches that we have released uh, a list of interviews that we've requested? Yeah, yeah. And another, uh, so a quick, my, my quick thought that I have just based on what you've said so far. Yeah. I kind of like a guy that's been to different teams. Like, so I, my main job is I do talent acquisition. Um, mm-hmm. I work for a hedge fund. Um, and when we acquire uh, people, so I'm talking about portfolio managers, uh, quantitative developers, we like to see guys that have been, you know, five years millennium, uh, five years of 2072. But if we look at somebody say, and see that they've been, 25 years with the same company, yeah. it usually means they're set in their ways. They don't evolve. They don't learn sure. from different um, areas. Uh, so they don't come in with a, a big, broad knowledge of, of what they do well. So whenever, whenever I see somebody like um, the Eagles guy that's been there for 16 years and kind of developed yeah. through, it gives me Scott Vitter, Vitter vibes. It's like, oh, you've only done this with one team for this long. It shows me one that are you scared to make a move? Like, are you just one of those guys that like, gets comfortable and just like wants to stay in your role? Or are you one of those guys that's like, I believe in myself and I'm going to go, go be a go-getter. So that makes me like a guy like um, uh, a Disner a little bit more. Uh-huh. Um, just like my, just my sense of what I do for a living. Um, so anyways, uh, we can move on. And I do think that there's a lot to do with, a certain does it, does it change your opinion on any of that? And I, that's a great point, man. I, I like that as a perspective to add into the thought process when looking at these candidates, right? Is it if you can recreate success and find the same success in different environments, then it kind of shows that you're system proof, if you would mm-hmm. like you just yeah. work in any environment that you could be placed in. So I get that. But does it change your train of thought at all? When it's a guy like Alec Hallaby, we'll use as the same example, because that's who you were just talking about. 16 seasons, but he's a young dude. I don't know exactly how young he is, but I mean, he graduated Harvard in 2009. So like, he's not, he's not a guy that has been there his entire professional career and is like an old stuck in his ways. He's a young dude who is just a little bit more focused on the analytics and the numbers and the new age stuff that has gone up from a low level position all the way up to this. So does that career trajectory change your feeling on tenure? Because it, it's not like he's been in the assistant GM role for 14 years. And so, like, that's what he's very comfortable in and settled in in that, like, role, right? 
mm-hmm. he's kind of had to work his way up and he's only been in the assistant general manager role since 2022. So yeah. it is an ascending trajectory at least. And it's not him being complacent in, in the one role, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not a knock on anybody. Everybody sure. has an opportunity to be successful. There's a lot of, I mean, he could have a family that he wants. He wants his right. in Philadelphia. Right. And they might just be entering college. There's a lot of like, nuances that go into this sort of thing. But when we talk about it for um, uh, portfolio managers, for example, right? Um, usually, when we get portfolio managers, they work under a, a larger portfolio manager, and these are people that work like they so say that one does digital, one does uh, equities, one does fixed income, like that kind of stuff, and they work under the guy that uh, oversees the whole portfolio, the master portfolio, for example. We want the guy that um, wants to not be attached to that guy for forever because. They only know his viewpoint on it. Whereas, like, if I go to this portfolio manager, to this portfolio manager, and I, and I can, then I come to you and I know I feel very confident about running a master portfolio because sure. I've learned this from this person, this from this person, this from this, instead of learning this one avenue from one guy. And, and that doesn't mean that that person that learns that one avenue, because you could be learning it from Bill Parcells, you know? And, so, it doesn't mean you fail, but more right. likely than not, the guy and the guy that goes from one to another is used to adapting, used to change, used to, and has the confidence in himself or herself to, uh, to, to hit the ground running and not ask yeah. a lot of questions, not say, how do you guys do it here? Am I going to make a mistake? Am I going to do this wrong? Because they, right. they, they're confident in themselves that they're, they're, they think they can yeah. be successful anywhere. Um, real quick, so I forgot to mention uh, a couple things too. We we talked about Dan Morgan, but there's one more name that I think that we should at least bring up because it's a name that I saw um, mentioned as a real interest for the Panthers um, front office and in this search was Champ Kelly, who is the interim general manager for the Las Vegas Raiders, which mm-hmm. I thought was really interesting. Um, Mike K had had replied to somebody or said something on on Twitter about. He's had a really impressive showing as interim GM. And I thought that that was kind of interesting in its own sense, because like, what is the impressive thing that you did as an interim GM during the season? Like, how is that a gaugeable um, thing? Right. Like Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to, to get a feeling on a performance of a GM in season. And the sentiment behind that was like the quarterback change of going from Jimmy G to rookie Aiden O'Connell. For me personally, that doesn't seem like that adventurous or, or daring of a move. <laughs> you already fired your coach midseason and you're the Raiders and you're talking about Jimmy G anyways, right? It yeah. almost seemed more to me like they were like, hey, look, we're in the throes of a developmental season that doesn't matter to anything. We're not going to win a damn thing. See what we got in Aiden O'Connell or do we need to draft a quarterback because Jimmy G ain't going to be it going forward type of deal. Um, but, but apparently he's got some momentum. Um, he's in his second season with the Raiders, 17th in the NFL. Um, prior to Vegas, he was with the Bears, director of pro scouting, um, director of pro personnel and college scouting. He was with the Broncos 2007 to 2014. I, I don't know, man. I mean, I guess there's some things. he Now he worked for IBM, Fortune 500, 2002 to 2005, software quality engineer. Um, he was a certified NFL contract advisor and general manager slash wide receivers coach for the Lexington Horsemen of the United Indoor Football, which, by the way, the Horsemen won the United Bowl three under his guise. 
So he's a winner uh, for the United Indoor Football League. You gotta love that, right? And, and, and it's a job title that's a general manager slash wide receivers coach. Hey, sign me up to at least be intrigued by that because. If you're up in the office five days a week and then you're down on the sidelines talking about breaks and releases the other two days, yeah, man, I dig it. That's that's dude, cool. Dude, this is, this is what I'm talking about. Like a guy like this, this guy I want. That guy's this, like, see, look at you. You got all like, you got all squirrely. As soon as I said indoor yeah. football, you're like, no, no, I, I squirrely we said software quality engineer at IBM. He's like, you know what I'm gonna do, and I'm gonna yeah. be successful. I'm gonna give up my job at IBM as a software quality engineer. And yeah. I'm just gonna go take over the National Football League. Yeah. Like I'm just gonna go do that because I am I have that kind of swagger about myself. Like I believe in myself that much and my ability. And he's like that's I like that kind of guy. I like the maybe, kind of guy maybe, that, Champ, maybe Champ has some sort of uh money ball software that he's about to <laughs> unleash on the NFL. You know, like maybe maybe we got an app coming that's just gonna turn this franchise around. No, no, no granted, you said uh Bears, Broncos, and Raiders, so that uh-huh. doesn't give yeah. me a lot of confidence. Yeah, that's why I kind of glossed over all that is because I was just like, yeah, not a lot of success. But, but I mean, hey, to be fair, the Broncos, during his tenure there, the Denver won four AFC West Division titles from 2011 to 2014. And while he was an assistant director of the pro personnel for the Broncos, they signed eight veteran free agents that went on to make the Pro Bowl, including guard Louis Vasquez in 2013 and wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders in 2014, who that was their first Pro Bowl selections of their career. So he did, he was involved in identifying some veteran talent that came in and made a significant impact and, and it, it resulted in winning, right? And I'm guessing he was a part of that Khalil Mack trade that got uh, Khalil Mack from the Raiders to the Bears. And the Bears made, uh, they made some playoff games at that time with Mitch Trubisky. So, like, yeah. I mean, granted, you got Mitch Trubisky, but... They tried to for Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky was the college part of it, though, right? So, I mean, if he was more pro player personnel, then yeah. that's not a stain on his resume, yeah. right? Yeah, that, that Bears team was pretty good. They made some playoff games. Um, it, Interesting, it, at least. But I thought that was a name that we should at least talk about before yeah. we pivot. Yeah, I, in my opinion, man, you're adding a Lions GM candidate, and we're going, we already heard all the Ben Johnson uh, points. Right. I mean, if, if, if I if I were if I were a betting man, which I am, uh, I, I'm betting it's going to be Disner and um, uh, Ben Johnson. But let me go over the uh, the Johnson the, the Johnson the <laughs> coaching candidates that we have asked for interviews for: Lions, Ben Johnson, Texans, Bobby Slowick, Bengals, Brian Callahan, Cowboys, Dan Quinn, Ravens, um, defense coordinator Mike McDonald, Dolphins office coordinator Frank Smith. Rams defensive coordinator Raheem Morris, Ravens offensive coordinator Todd Munkin, Buccaneers offensive coordinator Dave Canales. Um, you have a favorite of any of these guys? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I got them. Yeah. Yes, I do have favorites. Um, yeah. I still, man, I don't care how many big names pop up. I still love Ben Johnson very much, yeah. though. I still think that what, what he did by developing and procuring that in, in incredibly efficient and innovative offense in Detroit the year prior, and then mm-hmm. saying, I still have business to finish, I'm going to go back and do that, was a beneficial thing to me as opposed to a knock on him. It mm-hmm. showed that he wasn't going to rely on being a flash in a pan and a hot name to go and seize an opportunity. He 
he believed in himself, he believed in his team, and he believes what he put in place there enough to go back and that it wouldn't hurt his chances. And when you feel that level of confidence as a Detroit Lions coach, I like that because mm-hmm. historically that franchise doesn't know a ton about winning. Um, so he still probably is my number one candidate personally. And number two for me, and I we talked about this a, a month ago, Mike McDonald, man, I just think that he's a star. I think that he's an absolute coaching star. I think that when we talked about it, you know, it was in season, so the stats weren't all the way done yet or anything like that. But when we look at that Ravens defense, number one in points allowed, number six in total yards allowed, that's 14th in rushing, eighth in pass yards allowed, first in sacks. I mean, this is a guy that creates havoc, and it's coming off of, you know, Working at Michigan and doing the same with Michigan, and yeah, they had some pro uh, edge prospects in Aiden Hutchinson um, and uh, David Ojabo, the guy on the other side. They had they had big time players, but you still got to be able to use that. And what mm-hmm. what I love about and uh, Derek Klassen, um actually posted an article about this the other day, or I believe it was yesterday, about Mike McDonald being his favorite candidate, coaching candidate, and he spoke about in week two the the Ravens crumbling against the um i think it was the dolphins was it they they had a game where they gave up a, a late game lead and lost the game and it was just a meltdown right mm-hmm. and it was kind of like one of those get hit in the face situations how do you react and how he reacted is really what set the tone for the rest of the season he identified what he had with Rokon Smith Roquan Smith and Kyle Hamilton and he was like look man these are different dudes these aren't typical prototypical for their position prototypical for their skill set there's not a way that you could just throw them out there in an alignment and expect them to do what everyone else does. You got to kind of build around them and you got to kind of like center your scheme around these guys. And one point that I brought up that I love so much was the adaptability of Mike McDonald. And what it looks like is that became the basis for this season for them was he identified those two stars and he created their defense based off of those two stars, essentially putting them in different positions, playing them in different alignments. And I just, I love that, man. And I think that that's a very transferable thing from a coaching staff. If your head coach has that mind state, right, about being adaptable and that that's how you build a winning program, that's what he's going to look for from his offense as well. So I think that he could build a a great coaching staff with that. Um, My third preference is probably Bobby Slowick. I like Bobby Sloak a lot. I like the Kyle Shanahan system, man. And the more that I really do think about that, it's hard for me to go against that. And that's even with considering Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald, who I'm extremely high on. But I still almost feel foolish in a way to not have Bobby Sloak as my number one because of the success of that Shanahan system. Yeah, I would be upset at all, man. If Sloak is the guy, that ain't going to bother me at all. And Sloak has a history on both sides of the ball. Came up as quality control, right? He came up with D'Amico Ryans. I like that versatility. I like that understanding of the game. And that's the same thing for Mike McDonald. He came up on the offensive side of the ball too as quality control. So he knows how to identify certain aspects. And that's what I like as a profile from a head coach as well, is that it's not all one side. Offense or defense doesn't matter to me. And I also don't care about this whole like need a coach to establish the culture. I want to, I want a culture. I don't get me wrong. This team needs an identity, but culture for me, man is built organically through the players and the people that you have in that room. And for me, there's already culture in that room. It's Bryce Young. It's Derek Brown. 
It's Frankie Louvu. It's Taylor Moten. Hell, it's Bradley Bozeman. You can say whatever you want to about Bradley on field, but Bradley Bozeman from a culture standpoint and from an identity standpoint, I mean, he's a Panther, dude, through and through. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Then you even take a guy like ISM, Amir Smith-Marset. That attitude that he has, that go out there and get it and seize every opportunity and be the best because you believe in yourself, those guys have the culture of this team in them. It's there. You need a coach that can facilitate and, and cultivate that culture. Like mm-hmm. you, don't, you don't bring in a guy to bring in his culture and make everyone adapt to it. No, man. Culture is what a collective group of people have together. It's their energy. It's, it's what's important to them. It's their fabric. The coach's responsibility is to, is to take that culture that exists already and create an on-field identity based off of that culture. That's mm-hmm. my opinion. And I think that the way that Ben Johnson emphasizes offensive line and the run game and, and formations that create advantages, I think that's how he creates an identity. He doesn't need to create a culture. He needs to create the identity, and that's how he does that. Mike mm-hmm. McDonald, I just explained to you how I think he can do that. Bobby Slowick, I think it's a simple fact of, hey, man, look, I'm going to put y'all in the best positions to win. Don't worry about anything that's happened to y'all beforehand. What we're about to do is tried and tested and true. And, and we're going we're gonna to go out there and we're going to run this down people's throats. We're going to throw the football. We're going to create space. We're going to keep protection in. And I like that. And I think that he's got a really nice network of coaches that he's worked with that he could bring in some impressive Correct. people on the man defensive staff. Yes. Yeah, I agree. With you. And they always do. Like they always yep. do. Like, um, uh, like we're talking about Frank Smith right now. Like Mike, Mike, uh, Mike Daniels. Like we, all that whole Shanahan tree always has people to to bring in, and it's fascinating. It is so fascinating how they've done it. Um, and it's like nothing we've ever seen before, in my opinion. Maybe you can say mm-hmm. ourselves, but in my opinion, like there's been nothing. Maybe read any read too. Um, but yeah. So I tweeted this out. Um, Nico Collins last year uh, had per completion had four point four yards after catch. This year six point uh-huh. nine. Yeah. Noah Brown had three point zero last year. This year six point eight. DJ Chark last year at four point five. This year two point four. Like mm. you get some of the, like if we can get a guy that can get our guys in space, like right. and get that those numbers up for yards after because because the Panthers were thirty second. In yards yeah. after catch this year, yeah. we we're dead last in yards after catch. So, in my opinion, that is yeah. the number one thing yeah. that we need to look in. And that brings in that brings in another candidate that I am high on, but I'm not going to spend as much time on Frank Smith, the yeah. the offensive coordinator down there in Miami. Again, what they do with getting players in space and yards after catch, it's not as much of an aerial attack, right, as it is like a horizontal and a spaces and a layered attack. That's how they operate a little bit more. Now, they do tack vertically. Don't get me wrong. Well, obviously, they've got the speed to blow the top off every single play if they want to. But they create space. And they use those threats to create uh, spots of advantages on the field. Um, I, like, I like the identification aspect of that from all of those coaches that just seem to know what works and, and how to make it work in today's NFL. And those aren't the only candidates. So, man, like we've got, there are some really good candidates out there. Jim Harbaugh is going to have that's, a huge clamoring for him. People love Jim Harbaugh. That's I'm not like I'm not like 100% out on Jim Harbaugh by any means, dude. Like I understand his winning record. I understand what he brings to the table. 
I understand that he is a no-nonsense dude that doesn't care about traditions of the past. He wants to create traditions now. Love all of that. My question is going to be, always when it comes to an older guy like that or a college coach or anything that hasn't been in the league for a decade, my question is always going to be, how does that translate to the NFL today? And, and, it's, and it's a little bit more of a projection. You can say he's really good with quarterbacks and all that stuff because of what he did in San Francisco. I understand that. But his quarterback play in Michigan, if you're going to use his most recent examples, quarterback play in Michigan has been nothing to write home about. That has not been the emphasis of the offense. And it, Bryce Young doesn't have to be this guy that throws the ball 50 times a game. That's not what I'm asking when I'm talking about needing a coach that can um, get the most out of Bryce and his skills. I just mean I don't want a guy who's going to eliminate the special that Bryce does have because his system is built differently. I don't want it to be a system over the person type of deal here. And I worry the tiniest bit that what Jim Harbaugh brings is more system than it is adaptability. Um, mm -hmm. I could be entirely wrong about that too, because I have not done intensive study on Jim Harbaugh and his historical stuff in the NFL with the, for, with the 49ers back then. Um, I do also know that that situation with the 49ers went sour because of a distant, you know, poor relationship with the general manager, Trent Balky over there. So it gives me a little bit of pauses. How does that work out with a very volatile owner and David Tepper? And this new front office that you're bringing in, are we sure we can make all of that align? And is that worth the headache during this transition period? Maybe it is, man, because he's a winner. I'm not yeah. going to be upset if they bring him in. I think that they should absolutely interview him. Uh, Bill Belichick, I'm all the way out on. I'm good on that. You can leave me alone. Um, Mike Vrabel. <laughs> Mike Vrabel. I mean, look, Mike was a really good coach, I think. And I think he's one of those leaders of men similar to like a Steve Wilkes type of coach. Where he's going to give you all of the fire that's going to that's going to come with him, but he had his down years when Arthur Smith left. Right? Mm. They had a reliance well, most injured team of all time. Yeah, 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 yeah. no doubt, no doubt. And I don't, and I'm not trying to discredit. So please don't yeah, sound like I'm trying to discredit anything that they did because dude, he put together winning seasons back to back to back to back. Right? Yeah, yeah. in the AFC South with Ryan Tannehill. I get all that, dude. It, it's it's impressive, and, it, and it's not something that you should diminish. Um, they also had a heavy reliance on Derrick Henry and and strong offensive line play. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we could still pound the rock, and our offensive line is built for a power run scheme as opposed to a zone block or a pass heavy offense. So I understand that translation right there. You know, you, but at the same time, what we don't want to get ourselves into is this whole predicament of what we've talked about before. You want to just use what's on the roster currently, or do you have a future standpoint that you want to be competitive and excel in the NFL for decades going forward? Mm -hmm. And me personally, that's not the brand of football that I see being the most effective and the most threatening going forward. But it doesn't mean I wouldn't celebrate Mike Vrabel because he immediately lends credibility to this team. He immediately gives us a NFL coach that there is no guessing about. I also don't want necessarily a coach that is coming off losing despite injuries or anything like that and dropping him right back into the equation. I, I, I would like a little bit of lag time, right? Recalibration. See what went wrong, identify it, work on it, come back stronger than ever. I don't necessarily want a, a redo 
of the take the losing head coach and put him right back into the fire and see what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm torn. So I was, I was pretty sold on uh, Bobby Slowick um, as my, it's going to be Ben Johnson. I'd be shocked if it wasn't Ben Johnson. I think it's going to be ben, John, ben Johnson. And I think that's why we added a Lions um, uh, GM candidate. Uh, right. But I was pretty sold on Slowick until the Kunkel report came out. It was like, um, look what he said. He says, uh, the advice from uh, D'Amico Ryans, be selective. Yeah. Make sure you're going to pl- a place you can be effective. If I'm a Slowick, right. I'm like, shut the F up, D'Amico Ryans. Right, like, right. You can tell me like what, where I can be effective. Yeah, right, yeah. right. If that's, if that's me. If, but if, there's, if, if D'Amico Ryans is giving that advice, that yeah. kind of makes me feel that slow. Give you a little bit of pause. Alpha, yeah, slow yeah. that alpha kind of guy. Isn't that, um, I need your advice. Like, I don't, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Well, it, it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder. Is, it, yeah, it makes you wonder. Is he a little bit more complimentary than he is primary? Correct. Right. Correct. Like, like if you've got a Mike Vrabel on your staff, and then you have Bobby Slowick as your OC, maybe that's the perfect combination because he's complimentary. Yeah. But is he the guy that is going to lead the entire team? Maybe that's what he's saying, or maybe he's also just saying, "Look, man, don't put yourself in a in a jam with your first head coach job. Pick something that you like." But I'm going to tell you this: there's no way that D'Amico Ryan saw all the turbulence that was going on with Houston and that and that owner and the history of racism and, and bullshit over there, and thought to himself, "Hey, this is the best place for me to start my career." No, no, no. But it was an opportunity to start your career, and, and it was worth taking that jump. And so what yeah. I would say about Bobby Slowick is if, if Bobby Slowick is as confident in himself as I anticipate him being because of the success that he just showed right here with a totally unproven offensive unit, we're talking about rookies across the board. We're talking about backups on the offensive line after suffering injuries. And he still had that thing rolling. I mean, he had that thing rolling with Davis Mills, Devin Singletary when CJ wasn't even playing, right? Yeah. It wasn't even Case all just about game. Yeah. Case yeah. Keenum went out there and won a game. Yeah. Like, this isn't about get somewhere where you're comfortable and you got all the pieces in place. I did take that more as a personality thing than I took it as a efficiency on the job. And and so, yeah, there's a little bit of pause there, but also if you've got some other guys in here that can, you know, maybe kind of compliment that. I, it doesn't make me move off of Bobby Slowick in any sense, but it did kind of raise my eyebrow when I read it. There's some guys even just saying that, there's some guys you just don't say that to. If somebody right, came to me right. and told me like <laughs> where I should go, like and like right. gave me advice, like I didn't know what I was doing. Agreed. I'd be like, stay in your lane, man. Like, hey, man. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. How old are you? How old are you? You have right. one season as a head coach. Relax, bro. Like, I'm don't be fired. fair, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Um, to the fact that he even was able to say it, they even like thought it was, he was comfortable enough to to give advice. Yeah. As, yeah. Come on. I, I feel that. Yeah, that's a good point. No, that's totally fair, man. But I really like your McDonald and um, Frank Smith calls. I think that I'm Frank Smith's one of those dark horse men that I'm just kind of. I think I think he because because he was on the Saints. He was on the Saints. Yeah. Team. Like like he see like he's that guy that bounces around that like learns right. like everybody else and and right. and I and Mike McDon- Mike McDaniel's is like one of my. I think might be the smartest person in the NFL. Like, yeah. Like, kind yeah. Of savant. And he was like, yeah, Frank Smith's going to be my OC. Like, 
Like, right. I identified him. Like he was. Well, like, and Frank. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and Frank Smith ended up on that list. The um, the NFLPA that ran that survey after the season about favorite or, or most liked, well respected coordinators for each each unit, right? Offensive, defensive, and special teams coordinators. Which, by the way, Thomas Brown was second on the list for offensive coordinators. So he's obviously a player's coach. They respect the hell out of him. He's stayed strong throughout the entire process. That's a very commendable, respectable trait. That's why people flock to him. Chris Tabor was also number two for special teams. Mm-hmm. But Frank Smith was on there for the offensive coordinators. And he's on there. Where he is is exactly what you want, right? Mm-hmm. He's number one. He's the most liked and well-respected and well-regarded coordinator. But he also has all of the production and the results on the field to show for it. So you're going to have guys that buy into him, no problem. They're going to play. They're going to fight for him. But he also has all the stuff to make the fans in the front office feel good when he can just point to the results, say, but look what I did. The caveat with the Frank Smith is he did it with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell and a really good okay. offensive line. Kind of. Yeah, no, kind of. And I, I understand the new oh, kind line. of offensive line. Armstead was out, what, six, right. seven games? Right. And it's more, it's more that system. It's more that offensive system to me, again, kind of like what Slowick did. Where you did give Raheem Mostert for a whole season, which is remarkable in itself because he always misses like ten games with injury. He's Thirty-one years old too. It's yeah, like and he, and he led the damn league in rushing touch. Like he was phenomenal. But that's a system thing too, and that's also recognizing though what kind of player you need in that system. They took a guy with speed, and they took a guy with great contact balance, and they said, "Look, maybe this isn't your workhorse of every day of the NFL, but in our system, this dude is a home run threat." That's, that's the reason why they drafted that Devin Achain guy. Like it, it's he's not going to be a Pittsburgh Steeler running back. He's not going to be the Chicago Bears bell cow, but the South Beach Miami Dolphins that run on speed and sets. Yeah, that dude's going to be out there running eighty yard touchdowns every time he touches the ball. Right? Mm-hmm. Like they're they're the bright cherry red Porsche of the NFL, <laughs> and that dude just revs his engine all game. Like it don't matter, man. He might get stuffed for negative two four yards or four carries in a row. But then he's taking it to the crib. Like, it worked, man. All of a sudden, Tyreek uh, Cohen comes out and just, like, wrecks yeah. the league. Right. <laughs> um, I, I think we've we gone pretty pretty far with this. Um, yeah. After talking with you, I I think I'm kind of leading Frank Smith now. I, I'm, Frank Smith, how about that? Like, I, I'm going full circle. I've went from yeah, Slowick to Arvald. To and the fun part is, man, we've got time. We're going to get to keep on flip-flopping right. and, and, and picking favorites and doing research, which we'll keep doing, though, man. There's more to dive into. There's more to get um, input from players that have played for them once the season starts wrapping up and things like that. It's mm. going to be interesting, man, and it'll be really interesting to see who's coveted the most. And then where do we end up on that? With yeah. all the people, all the jobs that are opening up, you know, you just got Seattle that just opened up today with the Pete Carroll news. Um, it looks like Eberflus is staying in Chicago. I mean, there are <laughs> the commanders. The commanders have a boatload of free agency money and the number two overall pick and a and a new ownership. They, they've got some NFL talent on that team as well. So, I mean, there are good situations out there. The Chargers are an appealing job because of Justin Herbert, just off of that strength. There are appealing jobs out there, and then there are you know the Raiders and and the Panthers and stuff like that. It don't come across as super appealing, but I'm also not in the train of thought, man, that this Panthers job is garbage and trash and the worst thing yeah. I've ever seen. We've got Bryce Young, who was a consensus number one overall quarterback prospect last year and for probably two years straight. And he yeah. played in an abysmal setting and still put up numbers that are similar 
to Trevor Lawrence and Peyton Manning like we did that exercise in, in Troy Aikman. You know yeah. what I mean? You can't count him out because the statistics suck. If you watch the game and if you had a high grade on him last year, you probably don't move that much off of what your evaluation was on him coming in. And there are some of these guys that I could see absolutely saying, look, if I can make it work with the guys that I've make it work with, I can make it work with Bryce Young. Yeah, and on the NFL Network, uh, what's his name? Uh, Garofalo, uh, yeah. Whatever his name is. Uh, yeah. came out, it was like, and, and you can see him like defeated as like he's right. yeah. like, He's like, I wanted to push the narrative that the Panthers shot sucked. But yeah. it seems like, you know, people really kind of want to go there. Like maybe it's not as undesirable as we all thought it was. It's like, try Yeah. It's like, just report this, dude. Don't be like, yeah. Right. It looks like, I don't like, I hate like to tell you guys, but I think that somebody's going to want to be a Panthers coach. Like, <laughs> I, I, I hate breaking the bad news to you all, but not everybody hates Bryce Young. Like, dude, just, man. Like, come on. Yeah, exactly. Why can't you just say it? Like, why do you have to say it like that? I can't finish? wait until, I can't wait until we're all the way the hell up, man. And Bryce Young is out there throwing 300 yard games, three touchdowns while he's still five foot 10. And our quarter, our coach is sitting there, and he's like, "Man, I'm so glad I took this job." Ben Johnson, <laughs> he's like, "I couldn't have had a better situation," you know. Yeah, if you ever, if anybody ever is upset or gets mad at Bears fans thinking they fleeced uh, the Panthers or whatever, just remember they're Bears fans. They're keeping yeah. Eberflus. Yeah, they're keeping this guy. He's gone fourth and fourth in the division, and they're getting rid of Fields, who. Everybody in the team is like, nah, we want keep, him. But we, keep, right. keep this guy. Keep this guy. So you got to break up the locker room. Yeah. <laughs> locker to room keep Matt Eberflus to bring in another quarterback. Yeah. It's a wild thing. But yeah, I, I think it's a great, I think you give some great advice there. If you run into a Chicago Bears fan, instead of, you know, breaking out the switchblade and getting ready for the old, you know, uh, what is it, the West Side Story type fight where you snap your fingers and you meet in the alley and we're all going at it. Instead, maybe we give that Chicago Bears fan base a little bit of grace because they're about to be going through it, dude. They're, yeah. they're going to be in turmoil. And they're in a great situation. They got the first and ninth overall pick. I'm not feeling bad for them. But those guys are about to realize that they're not as stable and as much winners as they think they are right now. Yeah, they've had top picks before. and uh, yep. They've been to one Super Bowl in third Thirty-five years, thirty-eight years. Gotta make it work eventually, right? Yeah, we're, we're at Rex Grossman. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you got, you were the guys that got Jay Cutler, Kyle Wharton, Rex, Rex Grossman. Like, I don't, I don't believe that you, Mitch Trubisky. I don't believe that you're the the yep. <laughs> the front of the, the team that's gonna that's gonna make the right decisions, even though you might have gotten <laughs> uh, the better end of the uh, the trade, or maybe not. Who, who knows yet? Um, right, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't go celebrating for a fourth place finish in the NFC North. Matt Eberflus, yeah. Oh, uh, and you keep Eberflus. Man, Matt Nagy took <laughs> that freaking Bears team to like what three playoffs? Eberflus uh-huh. goes <laughs> fourth in the division, fourth in the division, and more jobs. Yeah. Keep going. Anyways, <laughs> um, all right. Let's 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 like uh, just end it. We get, I guess we don't end it like we always do because we're not going into a game. But I guess. We can give the advice to Panthers fans that, you know, however, even though you're feeling bad or down or whatever, you know, keep pounding. Yeah, that's right. And and as far as what our schedule will be, right, for episodes and things like that, it's going to be a little bit fluid. We'll, we'll mm-hmm. go based off of the, the, the waves of information. And when we start getting some new things that come in, 
Um, I, I look forward to getting on and talking about it. Any opportunity that we get. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye out for news and information and we'll jump on and we'll, we'll talk it all out, man. No worries. Yeah. Best for me is like at 4 a.m. when uh, after I fed the Perfect. baby. And, yeah. Perfect. Well, then we will probably start recording again in February once dry January is over because I don't see uh, 4 a.m. unless it's that I'm still up at 4 a.m. So <laughs> no, no, I usually go to bed. What I use? I get to bed like at seven. I'm usually up by. Lately, I've been getting more sleep actually. So seven, I'm, I sleep until like 12, one, something like that. So I'm getting like five, six hours. Like I. I She's sleeping longer. It's great. Well, I'm proud of her. Tell her that I said thank you because it does make your availability much easier. So uh, I very much appreciate your sweet little daughter. <laughs> I don't know. She'll, she'll definitely understand. She, she's really good at giving me like the side eye. Like I'm, like I'm saying really stupid things. Yeah, so. man. Babies really are good at that, aren't they? Yeah. They're just like, the craziest thing, man. Yeah. She's like, yeah. And really, they're actually just crapping on you. They're not actually giving you a side eye. They're just pooing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't need to go into it. I'll, I'll talk about my daughter for an hour if we get started. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Cool, man. Uh, well, all right. well, I guess we did it like we always did it. Uh, yeah. But keep pounding. Keep pounding. <laughs>